Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 3 to 10 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. Listen to what Paul writes here. He says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Amen. In the late 1800s, there was a man, an American author, named Horatio Alger. And he wrote a series of novels that were all on the rags-to-riches theme. He was a Unitarian minister who resigned from his church in 1866, and he moved to New York City to work at Newsboys Lodging House with homeless boys. He wrote 135 books on fame and fortune and success. In fact, it became so popular that the Horatio Alger hero became a symbol of American success. But implied in his books was the belief that once you have made it, you will be happy and content. But is that true? Can money bring that kind of happiness and contentment? Or is it found somewhere else? There's no doubt that America has been a land of opportunity for many, and that's a good thing. And people have come to our country for centuries seeking that kind of freedom and opportunity to advance themselves, and that is good. And there is nothing at all wrong with the desire for us to grow and to learn and develop our gifts and ability and skills and to put them to good use in our work. The danger comes when people begin to pursue wealth as an end in itself. And instead of being a tool that can be used for God's glory, money and wealth can become an idol that can steal your soul. And even the Christian can get caught up in it. You see, God intends that we would use the wealth that he gives to us in a way that honors him. But sometimes people become so focused on the desire to pursue more and more wealth and riches that it becomes an idol in their life. And sometimes even the Christian can be led astray by that. That's why we need to hear this message and why we need to look at this particular passage in Scripture. Today in this text, Paul talks about true godliness and the contentment that it can bring in contrast to the love of money and the pain that can be associated with that. 
And I'd like to share with you this morning from this text three reasons why we should pursue the godliness that God desires us to have. He tells us in this passage that true godliness promotes peace and unity. And we see that in verses 3 to 5. Paul was passionate about the truth. And he was concerned about what was going on in Ephesus. He cares about the people that are there in this young church. And he is angry at the false teachers who have come in that are stirring up trouble in the church. And they have caused dissension and divisions among the believers there. And did you notice how he describes them in this passage? He said that they are proud and arrogant. They claim to know the truth, but they know nothing. Their teaching is not in line with biblical truth, and it does not promote godliness. Instead, they stir up controversies and arguments everywhere that they go. They quarrel about words and about myths and endless genealogies and things that he has referred to in other passages in 1 Timothy. And they focus upon those things rather than upon pleasing our God and Savior and living a life that is fully devoted to Him. And the fruit of their teaching can be seen. It resulted in envies, jealousies between people, strife and fighting, quarrels. There was malicious talk, which is slander. There were evil suspicions, mistrust, and constant friction. That's not a very pleasant environment, is it? When you think about all those things going on in the church there in Ephesus, it would be troubling not only to Paul but to Timothy who was present trying to deal with that and sort that out every single day. False teachers are a danger to the church. It happened in the early church with these young believers who did not have the New Testament as we do. I mean, they didn't have all of the writings of Scripture to be able to go back to that and check things out. They needed to discern and trust their teachers like Timothy and Paul. But these other false teachers came in and deceived them and led some of them astray, claiming to teach the truth. Even today it happens in places like Eastern Europe, Asia, China. The cults follow the evangelists and they lead people astray. Even in America today, there are those who have bought into a false gospel that promises health and wealth if you come to faith in Christ. Believe in Jesus and you'll be rich. Or believe in Jesus and you'll be healthy and you'll have all your problems solved, some people claim. But that's not what the Bible promises in this life. In fact, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. (laughs) But take courage, I have overcome the world. (laughs) All right. Try straighten this out too. And here he talks about these false teachers and he tells us that their mind is corrupt and they have been robbed of the truth and he tells us that ultimately their motive is financial gain. It's money. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Later in the second letter that he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 6-9, Paul will also reveal that these men are interested in sexual conquest. They take advantage of weak-willed women for their own pleasure. They pursue money and sex under the guise of being spiritual. 
But how's that any different from the world and what people seek in our world? It is not. And it is not true Christianity. Listen to what the Scripture says about what is at the heart of Christianity. The Bible tells us the religion that God our Father accepts is pure and faultless. It's to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The religion that God accepts as being genuine is one that really cares about people and their needs and looks after those who are vulnerable in our world. It's a religion that keeps itself pure at heart. And secondly, the Bible tells us that the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure and then peace-loving and considerate and submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. You know, I was thinking about that, that verse and I'm looking at those descriptions there and I'm thinking that would be a wonderful thing to pray for ourselves, wouldn't it? Or for our spouse or for our children. God, would you build those qualities in our life? Lord, help me to be pure. Help me to be a peace lover or considerate and submissive. Help me to be full of mercy and good fruit impartial and genuine because peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Do you see the contrast between the false teachers that are coming in or stirring up strife and causing divisions and causing people to be suspicious of one another and envious and those who teach the truth that leads people to gather in peace and unity that honors one another and that shows kindness and consideration. You see, the person who is bent on making money doesn't care about people. He uses people. And he discards them. And you'll see that many times over and over again. It's portrayed in movies or on television shows. You see the person whose focus is just on their business and they neglect their family, they neglect their relationships. And what happens? Life falls apart and it turns pretty ugly. But the person who seeks God first finds that God blesses them in every area of their life. True godliness shows itself in acts of kindness, humility, and a pure heart. Are those the things that we are pursuing? And do we value and take time for the people around us? Well, secondly, he tells us that true godliness brings contentment. In verses 6 to 8, he says that godliness with contentment is great gain. It is true wealth. Now, isn't that an interesting statement? In contrast to the wealth that they were seeking, he says that godliness with the contentment that God gives is indeed true wealth. The reality is that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world when we leave. There are no hearses with U-Hauls. I mean, you just don't see trailers being pulled behind a hearse, do you? One young man said that when my uncle died, he died a millionaire. And his pastor challenged him on that, and he said, no, he didn't. And he said, yes, he did. No, he didn't. Well, what do you mean by that? The young man asked. And his pastor said, well, where is his money now? And then the young man understood that it all was left behind. And it's left to someone else, and who knows how those things will be used, whether for good or for evil. 
You can't take it with you. Imagine 300 people on board an airliner, a jetliner that goes down and crashes and all the people on board are killed. And on that airliner, there's a owner of a Fortune 500 company who doesn't know the Lord, but who's been very successful in life. There's the playboy and his playmate. There's the athlete who's won many awards in life. There's the gambler. And there's the missionary couple returning from the field. And now they all stand before the Lord. What will happen then? What do they bring before God? Nothing. All stand empty-handed. Only what's in their heart is what they bring before God. Who will enter His kingdom? Only those who have placed their hope and their trust in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Who will be rewarded for their labor? Only those who have served Him. And what will happen to those who did not believe in Jesus? Jesus will say to them, Depart depart from me, for I never knew you. That's reality. And that's the reality that we need to consider as we think about how we live our life today. No wonder Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? I mean, think about that. He's saying, I mean, even if you gained everything in this world and you had all the wealth that you could ever imagine and you had all the possessions, all the toys, all the things that you would like to have in this life, what would it happen? And what would it profit you if you gained all of that and yet your soul is not right with God? I was in college at the time when I heard Jeb Magruder make this statement. Jeb Magruder had been part of Richard Nixon's presidency. He had been an aide there, and he got caught up in Watergate and ended up spending time in prison for that as well. And he made this statement that many others have quoted. He said, I climbed the ladder of success only to find that it was leaning against the wrong building. And how many people do that? They pursue their dreams or things that they think are going to bring happiness and peace and contentment in life or joy to them. And then somewhere along the way, it doesn't turn out quite like they thought it would. As a young man, when I heard that statement, it really struck me. Because I was thinking about what was it that I was going to do with my life. I was an economics major in college at the time. I had plans and thoughts of what I would do in the future, but thankfully God was doing a work in my heart that took me on a whole different path. I've wanted to be successful. I've wanted to use my gifts in a way that would honor Him. And He led me to serve Him in ministry and to lay aside those other hopes and dreams and to choose to follow Him on the path that He was leading me in. One of the things that all of us need to learn is that godliness with contentment is great gain. The Bible says that if we have food and clothing, or that word for clothing can also mean shelter. So in other words, it's saying if we have food and shelter, we will be content with that. Is that true? That's hard for many of us, isn't it? We want more than that. 
We want more than just having our daily needs met. We have dreams and aspirations and things that we want. You know, the Bible says that our needs are really quite simple. And that if we have food and shelter and we see God provide for our daily needs, we should be grateful for all of that. But our world comes along and through advertising and media and movies and the things that we see and even the things that we see and hear that others have, the temptation comes to always want more and more stuff. So how do we fight that? How do we fight the temptation to always want more and more things in our life? I believe that contentment needs to be learned. For some it comes more easily than for others, but it is something that all of us need to learn through circumstances as we walk with God. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4:11 to 13. He said, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. That's really the key, isn't it? Looking to Christ and seeing that He is more than enough. He is our sufficiency and our strength in times of trouble. He is our provider when we have needs in our life. And Paul said, I have learned to rely upon Him. And I have found that Jesus gives me the strength to do everything that I need to do. He is more than enough. Paul learned to be content, whether in adversity or in prosperity, because he trusted in Christ. Sometimes it can be a blessing to be poor. And I'm not talking about the kind of abject poverty where people are homeless or people are living in cardboard boxes or things like that. But I'm talking about those times in our life when maybe we don't have all of our wants satisfied and we find ourselves living day to day and trusting in God's provision. I think of that when you start out as a young couple and many times, you know, you're just trying to hold things together and pay the bills at the end of the month. And you have things that you would like to do, but maybe you're uh, paying off school loans still and you've got responsibilities and things that you need to do and you're trying to make it. You know, when you're in that situation, you can learn some really great lessons about life. You learn that what we need is really very simple. And you see God's hand of provision more clearly every day. And you learn not to take a paycheck for granted in the way that God uses our work to provide for our needs. You live in greater dependence upon God because you have to, and it keeps you on your knees. You have no place else to turn. And you learn that by having less, there's less to care for. There's less to worry about. The more you have, the more you have to maintain. The more you're concerned about keeping it up or that you have to look after or you're concerned about it being lost or damaged or stolen. Paul comes along and says, if we have our basic needs met of food and shelter, how much more do we really need? 
You know, I've talked to couples who are older and they will say that when they look back on their life, some of the best years in their life were when they were starting out, newly married and just starting with a family, and they didn't have much, but they had real joy. And they saw God provide for their needs and they enjoyed that time when their kids were young and sure, maybe they couldn't do this or that, but they had great family times together. And it strengthened those bonds and relationships. That's what I'm talking about. That sometimes it can be a blessing to be in that situation where you are living in daily dependence upon God and you see His hand so clearly. Well, thirdly, Paul says that true godliness will protect us from many temptations and snares. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. He said that people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. He is talking about a very serious progression here. That people who aspire to get rich and who make that the goal of their life find themselves pursuing that. But it is really climbing that ladder of success that is leaning against the wrong building. And when he talks about how it can ultimately not only bring pain to our life, but can plunge someone into ruin and destruction, he is talking about eternal destruction, eternal loss. He tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible. For many times it is quoted as saying that money is the root of all kinds of evil. And the Bible isn't saying that money is the problem here. Money is just a currency. Money is a tool that can be used for great good or for great evil. It is the love of money that gets people in trouble. The love of money violates both the first and the tenth commandment. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus said you can't love God and mammon. It's idolatry when we pursue wealth above God. And when money or making money or a business or a work becomes first place in our life, it is an idol and it violates what God has said in the first of the Ten Commandments. And how many young adults have done that and walked away from their faith? I see it in young adults who begin to pursue their careers and they start to make some money and pretty soon they have no time for God. Or they get involved in their hobbies and their interests and things that they enjoy and they would rather spend time on the golf course or they'd rather spend time on the lake or outdoors or doing something else than they would in church or growing in their relationship with God. And they walk away. Money and work, when we love it, can do that. The Tenth Commandment says that you shall not covet your neighbor's house or wife or manservant or maidservant or anything else that belongs to our neighbor. That's why I added in there that it might be things like his employees or his tractor or car or boat or pickup truck. Or maybe it's her furniture or kitchen or clothes or jewelry or something that you have seen and you desire. Kids, you could fill in those things that you may want that another kid has or another student has. It breeds envy and discontent when we set our eyes on those things instead of learning to be content in God. 
and trusting Him to provide those things that we need. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says that whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, But when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. That's why there are believers whom God has blessed and whom he has given a certain amount of wealth or abundance, and they have learned to be content. And they are generous in the way that they give and they use those resources for His glory. And really all of us, in comparison to the world and the world's standards, have far more than most people in other countries. And God wants us to use those things in a way that honors Him and to appreciate them as gifts from His hand. So how do we fight these desires for more and more things? And how do we learn to be content? Well, these are some simple principles that the Bible tells us. We need to put God first in all that we do. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Put God first in your life, and He will provide for your needs. Secondly, remember that we are stewards of what God has given to us. God is the owner and you are simply the manager. You and I are here to use those things that we have been given in a way that honors Him. And 1 Corinthians 4 talks about how it's required of stewards that they be faithful. Third, be generous. Give as God has given to you and watch Him. And see how He blesses as you are generous with others and how as you give to others, God is able to give back to you. And you can give in many different ways of your time, of your financial resources, maybe that clothing that you don't need and you could give that to the sharing shop. There are many different ways that you can give. And then fourth, trust God to supply your needs. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And then in in Hebrews 13, it should be verse 5, not verse 4, but in Hebrews 13.5, the Bible says, Keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And then lastly, be thankful. Never take his provision for granted but give thanks often in all that you do. Praise Him for the things that He has blessed you with and use them for His glory. Let's pray. Father, as we come before You today, we thank You for the abundance that You have given to us. And I pray that we would not be selfish and hoard that or simply think that we can use that as we desire on our own pleasures. There are plans and purposes that you have for us and for the resources that you have given to us. Help us to be generous. Help us to be giving and kind and considerate of others' needs. Lord, help us to put you first and to learn to be content with what you have given to each of us. We pray this in Jesus' name.